the fruits of Edmonton's tech investments. This week, we're live! While you, dear listener of the recorded version of this podcast, will think that we sounded very smart, thanks to good editing, people in the room will know much better. We are joined by Councillors Sarah Hamilton and Andrew Knack, and we'll be talking about tech, innovation, and City Council's role in enabling Edmonton's startup culture. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome to Speaking Municipally Live. We're innovative here. We're doing a brand new live episode. We've got two counselors with us today, but as per every episode of Speaking Municipally, we start off with the rapid fire segment, which is our quick, sarcastic, and often mean recap of what happened in the past week. When talking about technology integration, people often fall back on the age-old factoid about NASA spending millions of dollars developing a pen that could write in space, where the Russians just used a pencil. Many thought this applied to Edmonton City Council when they had an embarrassing one-week delay to the discussion on calcium chloride because a councillor hit the wrong button and voted no instead of yes. But it turns out technology was perhaps not to blame as Calgary City Council this week, which uses physical paper ballots, embarrassed themselves as well with Sean Chu misvoting after several hours of debate on Elbow Park land use amendment. This is starting to seem like an Albertan councillor pattern of behaviour, voting incorrectly on important and hotly debated votes. We're going to be extra careful today not to ask yes or no questions to our counselor, as we generally prefer to have correct answers. After over three decades of public service, City Manager Linda Cochran announced her retirement this week, effective for the end of the year. An acting City Manager will be put in place, and the search for her replacement will begin in the coming weeks. While the City Manager had nothing but good things to say in her press conference, leaked medical records have revealed that the stress of dealing with the current council has caused her to age the equivalent of 25 years in the two years that have passed in this term. <laughs> Sources inside the private City Council meeting where this was revealed tell us that City Council planned to take immediate action and request reports, which can then be debated and delayed for a few years until the problem isn't relevant anymore. <laughs> After the federal election on Monday, Canada elected a new government. Same as the old government. True to form and the polls, Alberta opted to elect absolutely no members that formed government. While many feared this could lead to less federal support for Alberta and its municipalities, sources inside Councillor's Office reported that it was a jubilant attitude, with Councillors celebrating that at least now they have a passable excuse to give to their spouses and friends why Ottawa ignores them. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. Thanks, Ralph Klein. Park Power has low overhead, and chances are you'll save money if you switch. You can find out how much by visiting parkpower.ca, plugging your own numbers into the Alberta Energy Savings Calculator. If you decide to switch, it's easy. Nothing changes about your service, only the price. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. This episode also brought by Rampant Consumerism and Startup Edmonton, who gave us this beautiful space Shout to record Shout out to Startup, thank you. The audience participation segment is going very we need, well. We need an audience all the time. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we're just not that popular. So, we're joined by two wonderful guests today, uh, counselors. So, like, this podcast is getting real important now. We're influential. Sarah Hamilton is a counselor from Ward 5, newly elected this term after Michael Oshry opted not to run again. Called a, quote, political rising star by Advenue Edmonton, she enjoys climbing mountains in her free time, which has undoubtedly helped with navigating the mountains of reports that council members receive each week 
which all invariably use a lot of words to say not much at all. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being here. Councillor Andrew Knack is a longtime candidate, now councillor in Ward 1. A staple in the community, he can be seen, well, basically everywhere, either door knocking, hosting community meetings and consultations, or preparing to be lambasted on a live podcast where he can't leave until all the uncomfortable questions have been answered to the satisfaction of his belligerent moderator. <laughs> I'm speaking mainly of Troy here. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Um, so help us like get to know you a little bit. What's your relationship with technology? What's some of your like, earliest tech memories? Wow, cool. Uh, wow. Well, um, so uh, my dad actually, my, my parents actually worked in the telecom industry and my dad owned one of the first cell phone stores in Edmonton. But before that, he brought, he used to go to a consumer electronics show in, in uh, Las Vegas every year uh, because he was bringing in te like telecom tech, um, uh, having it produced in China or Hong Kong and bringing it into North America and selling it across North America. So um, he uh, was one of the first companies to introduce uh, caller ID technology into the North American market. Um, so that sense of innovation, especially as it relates to um, to communications technology has always been part of the fabric of my family and something that's really interested me. Um, of course, uh, like a true parent, I didn't get a cell phone till I was 18. <laughs> um, so, so we had all these cell phones around the house. Uh, but, uh, uh, as a, a, I was, my parents still wouldn't let us actually have it. Um, do you remember what your first cell phone was? Oh, it was the peanut phone. Uh, you know, yeah, the peanut, yeah, the Nokia, uh, the Nokia, uh, no, like, it's Motorola, the oh, Motorola, Motorola peanut phone. Um, and I sent 2000 text messages in the first month I had it. Nice. <laughs> that must've been hard with no keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. You have to like, do not underestimate the prowess of uh, people who had to do the whole, like tapping things out three numbers at a time. Yeah. Councillor Knack. Yeah, so interestingly enough, my dad also went to the Consumer Electronics Show like every year uh, in, in his world. So my first tech memory, I remember, uh, would have been probably five or six in the late 80s. And my dad had got, and I don't know if that was the year, the Commodore 64 computer was the first one and uh, playing a game called Jumpman Jr. on that. Uh, that was my first tech memory. Uh, and, and then ever since then, I've been interested in sort of whatever's uh, the latest and greatest. I used to work at a Best Buy when I was going through university and uh, would always want to buy whatever I could uh, whenever something new came out. Uh, my first cell phone was Nokia, but my, my first one that I was like memorable was the N-Gage. So anyone remember the N-Gage? It was, nobody bought it because it was terrible. It was like the gaming <laughs> cell phone. Uh, and then it, nobody made any games for it. And I was sad that I wasted uh, hundreds of dollars on it. And, uh, and then, yeah, ever since, uh, I think the biggest, when I got really interested on city council, I think the, the thing that I remembered most was when we... Uh, introduced the ETS Live to Go app that mm. we spent mm. uh, $250,000 on and uh, did anyone um, no. respond negatively to that app? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't recall many people using it. Uh, it. It wasn't great, shall we say, and uh, that that's Pain all. in the apps was the front page sun <laughs> oh, headline. Good. That's, yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. We are recording this in Start of Edmonton, which is still in the Mercer warehouse. So now that the easy questions are out of the way, uh, we'll go back to a year ago, last October, when the Innovation Hub came up at City Council. Um, Innovate Edmonton's Cheryl Watson, who's in the audience today, has said that she's grateful for the many gifts of feedback. 
that she and her team received through that tumultuous experience. So I'm interested a year on to hear what your take is on how that all played out. Um, I looked at Andrew to see if he wanted to, to give an answer. I'm going to be a little more circumspect um, because uh, I think, well, one, I was really vocal about the Innovation Hub and um, my concerns about that strategy. And I've had uh, the fortune in the last year to talk about those concerns with Cheryl and her team and to meet many of the people in the tech community, both before we had this conversation and after, uh, and hear their not just concerns about the direction I think innovation was going in the city, but their hopes and aspirations for what innovation could be. I think we reached this tense point where we have a, a community that is deeply invested in seeing uh, itself succeed and not for selfish reasons because I, I, there's a lot of people in this room today, there's a lot of people who work in this sector who know what this city can do and who want to see it. And I think the Innovation Hub was a really interesting focal point to talk about that vision. Uh, and I wonder if things had been done in a different order, if the outcome would have been different. Uh, I think the outcome in the last year has been an ongoing conversation of where innovation can go and what the sector should be focusing on, what the city's investment or role in that should be. I'm also, um, you know, I guess maybe I'll leave it there and let Andrew comment. <laughs> a bit. Yeah. So for me, I, uh, I've mentioned this uh, at a previous event that, you know, I was actually a little surprised about uh, what happened at that meeting a year ago. I wasn't expecting it to go in that direction that it went in. And uh, because I thought there was a lot of merit in the idea of, of continuing that work around an innovation hub, but I didn't really have a lot to base that off of. It just seemed on paper that that made a lot of sense. Uh, but over the last year, I'm, I'm glad that we had the opportunity to spend a lot of time engaging the tech community throughout the city. Uh, it's given me a lot of time to actually get to know what this, you know, in a very, very small way, what's happening in this community each and every day. Uh, and, and so while I think that there is still um, uh, merit in making sure we're expanding the opportunities for people to connect, uh, you know, I think this is a fantastic place right here. I think if we're going to, uh, as we sort of think about what we're doing in the future, we need more and more opportunities and more and more places for people to sort of connect in with each other. And so glad what happened did last year. And, uh, and I think we've got a lot of great recommendations from the community as to where we need to go and how we're going to do it. More importantly, it's one thing to say, here's what we're going to, uh, here's what we should be doing. And it's something else to say, well, let's actually go and do it now and get it moving. I feel like we're sort of hitting those awkward teenage years. Um, we actually, and, and I think Edmonton's role in technology started with investment in Tech Edmonton, which is 2006. So really we're, we're 13 years into our investment. In that time, we've invested in Startup Edmonton, uh, EDC created Innovate. So at 13 years, which aligns with my metaphor, um, <laughs> where, uh, you know, it's a little bit awkward this could go in a lot of directions. There's going to be some sort of blemishes, some pimples, uh, but we have a chance now to set a direction um, and set boundaries and 
figure out where we want our investment in the sector to go. I think that conversation was going to happen, whether it was around the innovation hub, whether it was around the Mercer building, it was going to happen anyway, because it needed to happen. So one of the outcomes of, of all of that, obviously, was the creation of ECOS, the Edmonton Advisory Council on Startups. And as the shareholder of EDC, you get input from them. I mean, is that helpful to you as counselors? Do you feel you have enough voices, too many voices? Are you hearing the things you think you need to be hearing about tech? Well, ECOS functions, as I understand it, as a, a uh, advocacy group for the industry. So it's industry-led, it's industry-driven, and I think it was also time for industry to take a more active role in advocating for their own needs. Um, I think prior to ECOS forming, and they're still pretty young, so it's by no means perfect, uh, consultation with industry was done, um, uh, you know, on one-off uh, as one-offs. And I think, uh, I think something that maybe came out of the last year was that there needed to be a more formalized consultation process, which, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs in the room. They hear consultation and they think 18 months, uh, and they're not wrong. There is, I think a way that in innovation, we probably need to do consultation differently. So ECOS is, I, th I don't think we're allowed to legally say that there's anything that, we, that there is too much consultation. We can always hear from more people. I mean, speaking of doing consultation differently, Councillor Knack, <laughs> who's brought motions forward about new approaches, mm -hmm. how are you feeling? Are you getting information that you need? Yeah, it's and and it is it is a touch or overwhelming. I think uh, my first going back to that uh, meeting last year, I didn't know if we were hearing from. Uh, all of the voices we needed to. I didn't know if that was representative of the entire uh, startup and tech community in the city. And uh, so I think the last year for me has been really valuable. So uh, it's been far, far more voices than I ever thought I would hear. I think a lot of people, uh, I'm, I'm guessing through the uh, level of quality that we've seen in that final report, took the time to engage, share their feedback, and actually feel that their feedback that they were going to provide was going to be uh, used in a meaningful way. So uh, I'm really happy with what's been happening. And, uh, and yeah, I continue to feel a little bit overwhelmed in this area because I'm still learning on this uh, every day, more so than most areas where I'm still learning every day. But this is an area that, that takes even more uh, time and effort to learn about. And there's not going to be unified voices, right? There if we know anything about consultation is that we really never get to 100% consensus. What's important is that there's an opportunity to at least speak on these issues. So you mentioned getting more diverse feedback and new ideas from the community where this is affected. I think we can all agree that the innovation hub approach, it was sort of like dictatorial selecting a solution that maybe was in search of a problem. That was one of the um, main pieces of criticism that uh, that wasn't something that some people felt was needed in the community. They felt that that investment needed to be routed in a different direction. They didn't feel they had a mechanism to bring that forward. So given that we've sort of established that, yeah, this like prescribing a solution without like hearing from the expertise of the people on the field isn't the greatest solution. How do we feel about dictating that calcium chloride can't be used this year, <laughs> oh, despite hearing from our best experts? <laughs> I was like, where is Troy going with this? I feel like he's leading us down a path. 
But since I did not vote in the affirmative, let's all look awkwardly at Councillor Nash. Let's do. Yeah, I'm on board and with this. You said we weren't going to bring it up. I wasn't going to bring it up. I was going to honor your request of not bringing up calcium chloride like you asked but two episodes ago. he didn't say he wasn't going to Yeah, no. That's it was a trap. <laughs> I am very confident with my decision on calcium chloride, and, uh, and it's a, it was a tough one, but, uh, and there's a mix of opinions. And we're still going to use it on sidewalks and multi-use trails and bike lanes where we heard a different set of feedback, and people were willing to make the trade-off there. I don't know if people were as willing to make the trade-off on the roads. You want to talk more about it? You want no, to spend no. The rest of the show? I, I think that's probably not okay. a good idea. I'm going to be nice. <laughs> I'm going to tie this together. I think um, the the challenge we have in the innovation sector, then the uh, as an economic development investment for the city of Edmonton, and the challenge we have with calcium chloride, is that we have not. We are still figuring out as a, as a city corporation, as a governance body. I said I had something on governance. Uh, how to provide feedback and where to draw the line in terms of um, either letting uh, our investment in innovation run its course and, and letting people do their jobs and believing in them uh, and asking uh, serious questions about the efficacy of what we're doing. And I, I think um, whether you're talking calcium chloride or the investment in innovation, there is a strategic conversation there. I think we lost the plot on calcium chloride, to be honest. Um, but uh, I, I think we still have time on innovation to set those, set set up that conversation for really good decision making. We have a wide variety of groups that we're hearing feedback from. We've got EEDC, we've got Innovative Edmonton, we've got a whole bunch of organizations like Startup Edmonton that we're in right now. Is that effective? Do you find do you would you prefer less sources of information and potentially less sources of conflict? with single recommendations, or is this an effective strategy to have a broad swath of organizations giving you feedback? So right now, I, I think if you're talking about feedback, um, we're always going to have uh, the private sector, we're always going to have post-secondaries, we're always going to have um, nonprofit organizations and service providers and entrepreneurs uh, and, and our own advisors giving us feedback. Where I think the you know there is a good question is the city is investing in uh, EDC um, which which supports tech, uh, which supports innovate Edmonton we also give money via e EDC to tech Edmonton and we support health city and those are all technology and innovation aligned initiatives I think there's a question of whether or not we can, actually bring those together under one authority. Um, there's probably some efficiencies there. We have a report coming back on that very question. Uh, I think we need to focus as a city and figure out what are the top three or the top five or the top seven things in innovation that we can do really well, um, whether it's health technology or agritech or um, artificial intelligence or uh, anything else. I'm, I'm probably, you know, there's probably a lot of opportunities I don't even know about, but we need to focus on a limited amount of opportunities and we need to do that really well. And I think our challenge right now is that we have so many people and so many organizations saying that there's all these opportunities that we're not capturing the ones that, uh, that we could like put our money on that would actually make us international leaders in that specific sector. Um, and that is an opportunity I see for Edmonton in the next uh, few years. You mentioned 
put our money on, um, and I said I wasn't going to talk about budget. I lied, I guess. <laughs> well, we had the provincial government cut specific tax credits that helped innovators, and you know that was helpful. And is the city looking to perhaps make up that deficit in terms of funding? What's the city? What does the city see its role supporting this? Is it infrastructure? Is it funding? Is it a combination of both? I think it's a combination of many things. Um, city government can be a funder. It can help with infrastructure. Uh, and city government often leads the parade. Um, we are conveners. So we can sit down and if we say we have three priorities, and let's say for the sake of argument, it's AI, agritech, and um, health. And, health. Uh, and we say this is where we want to focus our efforts. And we convene the tables on that as we did with Health City. Uh, it, says, it signals not just to the private sector, not just to other municipalities, but to the provincial and federal government that we are serious about our investment in that space. And it allows us to speak with some authority when we talk to post-secondaries about how we're investing. Uh, and, and it allows us to, um, I guess, uh, I'm going back to focus. It really allows us to focus on a, a priority rather than multiple priorities. Councillor Knack, Focus might be part of it, but another aspect of it is about risk-taking. So your mm -hmm. colleague, uh, Councillor Cartmel, talked about this back in March at one of the Innovation Ecosystem community meetings. He talked about the need to take risks to either incubate or incent the creation of a, a, a tech ecosystem. So even if we had the priorities straight and we had the focus, do you think the city can be enough of a risk-taker to actually move the needle? I do think so. We actually have uh, a report that we'll talk a little bit about this coming on Monday, I believe. And... Uh, talking about what we need to do internally as the city of Edmonton as a corporation around supporting innovation, supporting those opportunities. We can't do it all ourselves. We are, we are just one partner in this overall piece. But if we're not willing to do it internally within our own corporation, then how can we expect it's going to happen throughout the rest of the city right now? And so my hope is that we will actually uh, be willing to try out those new things, uh, have that culture where people are able to take a risk fail and and we accept that and move on and uh, and we learn from it ideally and we try to introduce new ways uh, but if we can't do it then then I don't know how else we're gonna we're gonna make that work across the city do you think the change in leadership is an opportunity to accelerate that is that something you're thinking about yeah I think I think uh, I think that's absolutely a piece of it anytime you're going through a, a leadership change city council really only has two employees the city auditor and the city manager and uh, they, they are the ones that will help shape the direction of the entire organization. So, so absolutely, I think this will present an opportunity as we begin recruitment for a new city manager to think about how we're going to support innovation both internally and then what that can do for the overall culture externally throughout the city and, and beyond. So take us behind the curtain because we have a new city manager on the way. We've got Linda Cochran retiring at the end of this year and you have an opportunity to start a city manager search do you get to set requirements on the go? Is this something where there's a job fact sheet that exists? What are the conversations right now on what we need to look for in a city manager? And is this already set? There's certainly conversations on what we need to look for. Um, something I'm going to advocate for. We just went through a search for the uh, new police chief. I had the tremendous pleasure and uh, privilege of being part of that search committee. And it was a really good process. I think one of the things that we will need to do and something I'll advocate for for uh, when we talk about it in a few weeks is that we need to talk to the stakeholders who deal with the city. Um, 
there's some timeliness issues, but we need to talk to labor. We need to talk to uh, business and we need to get feedback on what they want to see in the city manager because that outward facing role is becoming uh, the outward facing part of that role is becoming increasingly important um, to the job profile. Uh, we talk a lot about moving slowly on our podcast, <laughs> Endless Pilots. Um, during the summer, Mayor Iverson talked about uh, wanting to have Edmonton be seen as a tech leader, but he said we too often feel like we're admiring the problem. So aside from maybe new leadership to, to help bring some urgency to this, what else do you think the city can do to help us move more quickly? So I, I think uh, one of the things that, I, that I've seen in either other, other cities across North America or in a lot of corporations is they have, and, and whether you, you set this exact position, but essentially a chief innovation officer, somebody that can go throughout every area within an organization, find out what problems they are dealing with, and then just go out to the community and say, hey, we have these problems. Who's got some ideas of how we can try those out? And then instead of implementing it citywide, you say, okay, let's go try this out in this area, see if it works. And again, we, we, let's do it quickly. We either fail or we succeed quickly. And then we can either, if it succeeds, bring it throughout the entire organization. And if it fails, move on to the next one. Uh, I remember on a very, very small scale, uh, I think you, you might have even talked about it on the podcast previously that we're going to be testing out this autonomous lawnmower. Right. And if you, I remember when I got to tour uh, the research and technology park, there was a company there that had built one, I think it was like four years ago, had wanted to test it out. And why wasn't the city the first person there to say, oh, great, we've got a park. Let's try it out right here. Right. But we went years, and now we're only just at that stage. So, so that's the, that's, and I think that's where the community gets frustrated because if we're not willing to try to support these innovations, these, these new creations, uh, that, that's, that's where you really run into this. You're talking about know. government as a customer, maybe. Absolutely. First customer. Why not? Which is something that was part of, I think, Health City's mandate is how, how do we get government to be the first customer? You know, and we have that ability as a municipality. I think we have a cultural issue as well. Our tolerance for failure is very, very low, um, which is great when it comes to bridges uh, <laughs> because we don't want bridges to fail. But um, when you're dealing with innovation and you're dealing with ideas, some ideas just fail. And uh, we are not forgiving about that. And that is an issue that we need to deal with not only at senior management levels, but like as a council, um, because when things don't go well, um, because an idea doesn't work out on bridges, absolutely, you should 100% ask what happened. But we have to have a higher tolerance for failure when it comes to ideas and plans not working out. One of the biggest pieces of feedback that I get from the private sector, especially on innovation, is that we do admire the problem. We take 18, 24 months to sort of get around to a potential solution, and then we pilot it for another 18 months. And uh, I mean, it, it, when you add that all together, that's like three iPhone cycles. So, um, <laughs> and now it costs, like it went from $700 to $1,400. So, uh, so we have to be way more nimble in our approaches too. We can't take 18 months anymore. We have to take three months, maybe six months, but we have to be much more adaptive. So take me through the mechanisms of actually doing that. Um, because, I mean, I begrudgingly watch city council meetings every week 
and it's an endless series of requesting reports. You have at minimum a three month lag time. Anything moderately interesting has a much larger lag time. And then by the time it comes back, council's gonna argue about something, get amendments, there's another three months. It doesn't seem like the process that you have for governance supports the idea that you can be nimble. So what changes can be made there? Or am I missing something? <laughs> Andrew, Nat, and I you know what? Uh, uh, Andrew, I want you to respond because you've just been <laughs> shrugging and throwing it to <laughs> Councillor Hamilton. I'm just, anyway, yes. Uh, so I think the, the short answer is uh, that council gives the authority to fail to their administration. And I don't know if we actually have to make that formal in the policy uh, or if we just say it out loud, but I almost think we need to formalize that and say, yes, we want our administration to go out, try, don't keep checking in with us. Go try those things, those, those one-offs as often as you want. Use a small budget to try and just go and then report back. Uh, when you've got something that worked, come back and say, hey, you know what, we tried this out. The 10 other ones we tried failed, but this one really worked. And if we now do it citywide, we're going to save X amount of dollars or we're going to be able to be that much more efficient. But we need to give them the authority to do that. And, I, and I, part of hopefully the conversation we have on Monday is to understand, do they actually need that in, in, in writing to say, yes, go forth, our risk to tolerance is high, or do we just need to verbally say it and let them go? But, but I think you need to do that. And then you need to have that lead person. Again, right now, I, I do worry about leaving it up to each department in the city of Edmonton to do that, because I think you're going to run into some that are like, well, we've been doing the same thing all the time. It seems to work. Uh, whereas again, you look at what many cities or corporations are doing with that chief innovation officer, they're reporting directly to the CEO, directly to the president. So they don't have to go through, they're not their own department. They are that person that says, I can go into any area at any time and say, let's work on a problem together and see what we can come up with. But you need that one person. You need the support of the broader community, but you need somebody who can lead that work. Uh, and, and I think that's part of what we can do to make sure this is happening quickly. You know, I, I reflect a lot on why some of our conversations go very long, Troy. <laughs> um, and if you reflect on previous councils, they had one or two major items, and they're always coming back to those major items, whether it's the arena or the airport. Um, they were always coming back to those big projects. This council, I, I think the last two councils have been finishing off some of those projects, but we haven't had a big galvanizing project in the same way. So in some ways, I think our lack of focus is to our detriment. I think some of those conversations would be much more um, robust if we were dealing with the question of innovation um, every three months, and that was a standing agenda item. If we were dealing with the issues um, of, uh, let's say, efficiency or uh, any any sort of key priorities for the city, I think... Um, we would get better conversations out of that and probably um, build better rapport with administration as it is right now. I mean, you go to some of our, our committees and it's all over. <laughs> so you've mentioned focus and uh, consistent direction several times, and there's one member of council that sets the direction for the city. So mayoral run in either, either of your futures. Let's, let's comment on that. <laughs> no one's commenting. It's awkward silence. We just passed halfway through the term. Can't we continue to do our existing job before we start worrying about that? Maybe if there wasn't so much campaigning around the table. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm going to take that as no comment. 
uh, <laughs> no one will ever say never. That's what I'll exactly. say. No one okay. will ever say never. But there's, you know, there's a, it's anyone can do the ribbon cutting. <laughs> Uh, and I think the hard part is, and something to consider for anyone listening who's who's thinking about um, even running in municipal government, is that there is a, a very technical part to the job, and it is um, meetings, operating, running meetings, and that is a, a very um, mentally exhausting thing to, you know, I, I don't know a nicer way to say it. Um, it's wrote like it's it's rewarding it's interesting um it i love every day um but every meeting uh i need to just go to after i just go to my office and decompress because there's so much and i i think being mayor is a very difficult job no one should enter it lightly but uh it's not just ribbon cuttings like i think that focus it's easier, easy for me to say focus uh, and setting direction. I think it's a lot harder to implement. So one of the other things the mayor has to do is not just set the direction for the city of Edmonton, um, but to some extent for the region. We're the big fish in a, in a broader region. What are your thoughts on thinking about tech and innovation more regionally as opposed to just within the city of Edmonton, see nodding heads. Yeah, I, I mean, we need to think of it beyond our region. We need to think of it province-wide right now. Uh, I, I hope I'm wrong when I say this, but I think we've already had our last oil boom ever. That industry, even, I, if we get another pipeline built, great. If we can get another windfall of money, wonderful. But what if we don't? <laughs> and that's really what i'm worried about right now that feels like where we're at now and so therefore what do we do next i think this is the area tech is an area where we have a strength right now honestly in spite of what's happening here in our city and across the province uh we're you know the third leading in machine learning and uh, machine and ai uh, research there um and when I see what other countries are investing, they're investing billions, if not tens of billions every year into things like AI. Uh, and if we're not at, at a minimum trying to keep pace with them, I don't know how we stay on top of this. You look at even like a city like Toronto, Toronto which partnered with Waterloo. So tr a city the size of Toronto felt we need to partner with Waterloo in order to be able to be successful in that, in that industry. Uh, so what chance do we have on our own as the city of Edmonton? We've got phenomenally talented people. We've got great spaces. We've got great post-secondary, but we can't do it ourselves. And I don't even think we can do it uh, alone as part of the region. We need Calgary. We need to work on this provincially, and then we need to go and compete on the global scale. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, we have had a unicorn in this area in the last two years, and nobody talks about it. Aurora set up shop in Edmonton, and they put their um, greenhouses in Leduc County uh, at the airport. It is their worth a ton of money. They have done a lot in terms of technology that I think we haven't come to fully appreciate and nobody talks about it. Um, uh, to me, that's fascinating um, and a really big missed opportunity. So when I, you know, talking about agritech, we have a really big opportunity with the region um, to not just within the, the like cannabis sector, but um, within the agricultural sector to really be a powerhouse, I think. So we're coming to the end of our time here rapidly, but actually there was a story published today about the number of tech workers in Canada, and it's 
just about 1.7 million at the end of 2017. And you read the article, and it doesn't mention Edmonton at all. Even though we've got some pretty good assets, I think, compared to other places, like you can actually afford to live here. Why? Why is Edmonton, why don't people know about that example that you just raised? Why isn't Edmonton part of that conversation, do you think? I think that um, we haven't given license to our tech sector. We haven't given that focus and direction. And until a year ago, I think politically we weren't engaged. And I think that one of the benefits that we can give to the start to startups and to the sector is that political backing um, and to help be conveners and to say this that we're serious about investing in that but we have to back that up with something whether it's um, cash whether it's uh, infrastructure um, whether it's program support amending the way we do business licenses uh, we have to back that up with real demonstrable action I, I would agree and, and i just sort of state it's been it was an afterthought until about a year ago in almost a, other than the community itself who knew what was happening who's been traveling the world who's been engaging people from across the world around this uh politically we haven't been thinking about it and again i think it's I think city Edmonton City Council is no longer treating as an afterthought. I think provincially it's still an afterthought. I think federally even it's still a bit of an afterthought. But you know why we're not listed in that article about Canadian workers? It's because it's not a focus here in the province, and and we're just so focused on one particular industry that we have been we've been forgetting that there are so many other areas that we can also do great work in. This doesn't have to. We don't have to. Uh, expand this industry at the expense of our resource industry. You just need to take even half the amount of time and effort we spend in that industry trying to get pipelines built, try to you know build up that economy. If we spent half as much time on the tech side, we would be far better off than where we are and we'd be known far better across Canada and across the world. Speaking of making things better known, let's run an ad. Um, we're, thanks to the Alberta <laughs> Podcast Network for promoting this live show and giving us money so that we can continue to do this because I, you know, I'm, I live in Edmonton, so I can afford a place to live, but <laughs> not much else. Alberta Podcast Network, they highlight a bunch of local podcasts. So one of the other ones is the political podcast, Dave Berta, who just did an episode, was it today? Yesterday? Earlier this week. Earlier this week. It was all about the federal election and what it means for Alberta, similar to our podcast that we did about the provincial government and what the orange dot means for Edmonton. So you can check that out at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Dave Berta, good friend of the podcast. We've got time probably for a couple questions from the audience. So let's try not to be city councilors about this. Keep snappy, <laughs> brief answers. Um, so one of them from the audience is, what's your position that any software the city develops should be made public and open source rather than what we currently have with the city where we spend 250 grand on ETS Live to go and then throw it in the garbage. <laughs> yeah, short end, we don't need to spend any time and money on our uh, trying to create our own stuff at this stage. The, the, we, we've got too many talented people who can help us create. We just need to get the data out there on our open data network. Uh, it's a waste of money otherwise to, to try buy uh, either buy off-the-shelf solutions created by other people or let the community go and create it. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Um, <laughs> you said Troy you wanted happy short. about there that. You go. Yeah. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't prepped to get another question. All right. Did um, you have like hopefully more? Uh, yeah, I do have oh, more. Uh, hi, Troy. Long time listener, first time live audience member. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
can you talk about the intersection of technology and transportation? Uh, how can technology help improve our city-wide mobility? Oh, man, I'm just going to leave this to Andrew oh, because God. he wants to... I can hear his... So many areas. Uh, uh, I mean, it goes from as little as, uh, you know, small as thinking about our intersections and putting in AI-enabled traffic signals like you see in uh, the city of Pittsburgh to thinking about uh, the evolution of transportation technology that's happening across the world from autonomous vehicles, uh, connected vehicles, trackless uh, LRTs. All of these things are, we're no longer going to have sort of the, the standard uh, way of moving throughout the city. We're all going to be doing it. You know, there's a, there's a time and a place for mass transit still. You'll have that. But feeding people in and out of that system will be done using so many different ways. Um, I, I still will be shocked if in 10 years from now we're driving our own cars around. I think that, that technology is evolving far too quickly. You think just outside of Phoenix right now where they have 400 vehicles by Waymo operating as commercial service right now. It's not a pilot, it's not a test, it's commercial self-driving vehicles. We're, we're less than a decade away and, and that's going to shift everything that we've thought about. Cool. Great. The follow-up question, which was very apt, is are we at risk of chasing new tech and transportation at the expense of proven old tech? Absolutely. Um, but we just spent a great deal of time talking about risk and uh, talking about being nimble. And I think that there's a way to pursue new ideas without sort of throwing things out. Um, for instance, a lot of people are like, well, why would you build mass transit when obviously we're going to have self-driving cars? Um, I, uh, I think that there's still a lot of value in pursuing mass transit. I think that self-driving cars might come with some unintended consequences um, that, will that mass transit has the ability to alleviate. So I think we need to think more strategically about those risks. Um, absolutely. Well, I was just going to say, I think, you know, it's, it's uh, using that iPhone analogy, right? We could always, there's always something new that's going to come out soon. So we could wait every year for the latest and then never actually end up buying something like you would in this is the case of cell phones. Uh, or at some point, you just have to make the call with the LRT. I think the, the Valley Line West LRT is the last LRT like that style of mass transit. Uh, but we did the analysis. We looked at the emerging technologies in China where they're using trackless LRT. And the results came back and said, that's too far out. And so we're not going to wait 15 years doing nothing in the city for the next thing to come out. Um, we just have to at some point make a call and know that that's still going to produce uh, a lot of positive benefits. Uh, and even as new things come in, that's going to help feed into the overall network and not necessarily replace what we have. So you're saying with regards to Valley West, we should build it and build it now is roughly your mantra there. Absolutely. So the Edmonton Journal at 315 today posted, the government will axe a city charters deal with Edmonton and Calgary and delay funding for LRT projects in those cities. Thoughts? Um, that's a very curious choice considering the incredible amount of economic prosperity that West Valley Line is supposed to bring. We're talking hundreds of billions of dollars in economic investment to the city. We're talking 70, 80,000 jobs over the course of its lifetime. That to me is a, that would be a mistake economically. And it connects one of the largest employment centers in this city to the remainder of the transportation network. So I think that there's a very economically sound decision for continuing with that project um, and putting it off now runs the risk of, I think, really negatively impacting the economy of Edmonton 
and the Edmonton region. Because I can tell you a lot of the the regional members are very excited about the LRT because of what it represents for them. I'm glad you spoke first for a moment so I could, <laughs> I could breathe and not overreact. Uh, Isn't an overreaction warranted here, though? Well, I, I think... You know, we had heard time and time again through the campaign, after the campaign, after the release of the McKinnon report, every member of that UCP government, when they spoke about it, said that they were going to honor their commitments. So if they're choosing to go back on their commitments, I, I mean, <laughs> how do you trust them if they're going to go back on some of their most serious commitments that they made throughout the entire campaign? Beyond that, again, you think about what they campaigned on. They campaigned on jobs, and, and uh, Councillor Hamilton already talked about that. You talk about the economy, and what we see in this economy, what we know is happening in Edmonton is that we have a younger population moving here because of those new choices, those new ways to move, the affordability to live here. If you don't have proper mass transit to move people throughout, they're not even going to choose our city in the first place when deciding where to live, where, where they want to set up their businesses. Amazon requires LRT when they were accepting bids. Of course they would because people that millennial demographic which I guess I'm technically still a part of at the, I'm at the older end of it. You'll always be one of Absolutely. Them. That's what we want. <laughs> we want there's far less car ownership than ever before. They need that type of infrastructure to move throughout. So if that's what they're suggesting that they're going to delay this a number another couple of years or beyond I'd question if they actually are serious about building the economy up uh, and it feels like through their actions they're not. So we'll close with a final question that uh, Jason Kenny actually wouldn't answer. Uh, if you were in a box of crayons, what color would you be? <laughs> this is to both of you. This is entirely serious. I'm expecting an answer. I'm holding you to an answer here. I, st I still love my blue. I'd, right. I'd be a blue crayon. Okay. That's a very UCP answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the last one wasn't. <laughs> I, uh, um, I just love the color turquoise. Uh, I, there's no reason I just enjoy it so I, I picked turquoise all right well that's all we've got time for today uh, thanks a lot for Startup Edmonton for hosting us today and a round of applause for Startup Edmonton <laughs> and of course thanks to councillors Hamilton and Knack for chatting with us I know you didn't have to commit to Troy berating you but you did anyway so <laughs> Sometimes we have no option, Troy. It's <laughs> public hearing. <laughs> Speaking Municipally is published by Taproot Edmonton. This week we published a couple of uh, tech-related stories. One about Mover, which was just acquired by Microsoft, which is a big win for Edmonton. Uh, and another about the Start Alberta Tech Awards last night, where a number of local companies and entrepreneurs were recognized, including 2S Water and G2V Optics. So you can check out those stories and everything else we've published at taprootedmonton.ca. So until next time, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Sarah. I'm Andrew. And we're, we're speaking municipally. Ah, oh, there we go. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs>